Yo, what up? Welcome to Free Refills Podcast, where we come together as youth leaders to discuss the realities of leading in youth ministry. Our hope is that you leave refilled, refueled, and re-energized to carry on in ministry. I'm your host, Boss, coming to you from Indianapolis, Indiana, and I'm joined by my co-host today, Orlando. Greetings and salutations. Coming to you from Cincinnati, Ohio. Each episode, we have a special guest join us, and today we have Tara Vanderwood. Tara, welcome. Thanks, guys, for having me. Uh, Tara, before uh, we get into the conversation, thanks for joining us. Uh, Tell us a little bit about yourself. Where are you located? Um, And tell us about your family and maybe a little bit about the work you do currently. Sure. So I am currently sitting in downtown Indianapolis. Um, so we are neighbors, boss, you and you and me. Yes. Um, I, I live there with my husband. And then I have two children who are recently 13 and 15 years old. Um, I work at a local school here um, as one of the deans of students um, where we support kids who, um, you know, have a whole bunch of different needs. Um, throughout the day. So I get to spend my day with, I guess, four-year-olds through through 11-year-olds, 12-year-olds. So it's a lot of fun. I also do some um, consulting on the side and education um, as it relates to adoption, race, and identity. Awesome. Awesome. We are so excited for you to sit with us and uh, have this conversation. Uh, Orlando, you've got a few Get to know you, lighthearted questions. Here we go. Yes, I do. Well, well, sorry, boss. They may not be as lighthearted as you may have asked me to, because uh, Tara made it very, very clear she's not as lighthearted as, as an individual. So I got some hardball questions for you. Is that okay if we get to know you? Here we go. All right, here we go. All right, here's the first one. All right, it's it's very, very, very personal. Who is most likely to lose the remote? You or your husband? Who is most likely to lose the remote? <laughs> Um, my husband, because I never touch it. I don't watch TV. <laughs> okay, there we go. That's And that's why you don't have a favorite television show. That's good right. to know. That's All right, right. okay. Um, next question. We're going to get a little bit more personal on this one, okay? I hope you don't mind. Um, when it comes to your time, like, away from everyone, are you more likely to read a book, take a nap? What do you do when you're when you're just like, I'm getting away. I don't want anyone around me. Sure. So I would start with reading a book until I fall asleep. So I would do one first followed, followed by the nap. Okay, great, great. And of course, we wouldn't be a youth ministry show unless we actually had something about the Bible in it. And so I'm going to ask the most corny Christian joke, anyone, not joke, sorry, corny Christian question that anyone could ever ask is what is your favorite Bible verse? Oh, this is hard. Yeah, because all of them are great, right? See? <laughs> um, so maybe not verse, but I'm going to talk about Genesis 1, um, being made in the image of Christ and the image of God is very meaningful to me, especially as we talk today. And I'm going to couple that with Romans, or I'm sorry, Revelation, when we talk of um, the magnitude of every tongue, tribe, and nation. So thinking about how I made in his image and how that includes my ethnicity, and that it doesn't go away when I get to heaven. Mm. And so um, mm. that probably fits into our conversation today. Revelation 7, 9, maybe? 9, 7, 7, oh, 9. I'm so glad I asked that question. That's <laughs> oh, super good. Yes. Super good. 
I'm ready to just like you just you teach me teach me and just yeah, speak and yeah. I'm writing it down and soaking it all up so thank you for already starting us in that direction um, okay so the month of May is Asian American Pacific Islander Heritage Month or AAPI is probably what has we'll refer to it um, so that we don't get all twisted um, our time together um all this month, we are focusing on conversations about AAPI experiences and ultimately to raise awareness um, so that we can all, as youth workers, can serve students, all students, because um, raising the awareness of experiences of AAPI um, helps everyone. And so, and that also helps us serve adult leaders in our communities and the people that we interact with, even at the grocery store. It helps. And so, um, we ask Tara, we ask you to sit with us and share your experience. And so we're so grateful that you're taking some time out of your busy schedule as a dean to sit with us and, and talk yes. with us. So thank you for that. Um, to start us off in the conversation, would you mind just giving us um, some background on your AAPI history? Absolutely. Um, since your listeners can't see me, um, I am a Korean American. Um, and I would say that my AAPI um, story, so to speak, you know, it has many, many chapters, um, and I am still, you know, living this, living this life, and I'm sure it's going to continue to evolve and, and be shaped. Um, I happen to have been adopted when I was about a year old, and so I think my AAPI story is a bit different than those who were able to stay with their families and were sure. able to be raised by their, their Asian parents. Um, and so you can imagine um, being raised by white parents. I have a couple white siblings. I do have a Korean sibling who was also mm. adopted a couple of years before me, um, but I grew up in a predominantly white area of West Michigan. You might um know some people from West Michigan, but it's a, um, a pretty, um, it's a subculture with a lot of Dutch white Americans. Okay. Um, so lots of people who are over six feet tall, blonde, blonde hair, blue eyes. And then there's me, um, Korean um, little girl who grew into an adult. Um, and so really guys growing up, um, I was um, just doing everything I could to fit in and to assimilate. Mm -hmm. um, I think you guys know, um, working with youth, right? No one wants to stick out. No sure. one wants to be the only. Um, and so I, without knowing it, was doing the best I could to fit in with everyone around me. And I think that took many different forms. Um, but a big one was probably to not draw any attention to the fact that I was different um, than those around me, as if by not talking about it, maybe people would, you know, mistake me for that blonde hair girl. Um, so um, I did not show much interest in my Korean ethnicity or in my Asian race. And um, I, in fact, tried to deny that part of who I, who I was. Um, it was probably in high school and in college and when I started being a bit more interested and started um, taking some steps toward learning more about my Korean ethnicity. The internet was starting during that time. Okay. <laughs> so I, I was able to utilize that to, to learn a bit more and to connect with others. Um, and then in my mid 20s, I took my first trip to South Korea, um, the country where I was born. Um, I had been married at that time. And so my husband and I went together. And in case anyone's curious, I'm married to a Dutch white man, um, because that's who was around me as I was as I was growing up. Sure. Um, 
And so really in my 20s and then into my early 30s, maybe um, did a lot of work when it came to ethnic identity um, and really, um, you know, I probably thought that I had arrived by 25 when I went to Korea for the first time. Um, uh, but with each month and each year, you know, really, it's so hard to put into words. Um, but I became um, more confident and more okay and strong and accepting and embracing and really then to the point of loving who I was created to be in, in the image of God, which includes yeah. being this, this Korean female. Um, and so let's see now, 15 years after our first trip to Korea, um, you know, we're parenting two kids, 13 and 15. They were both also born in South Korea. And so my husband and I adopted both of our kids. Um, so my husband's the racial minority within our within our sure. home being yeah. the white man um and i've now been to korea maybe up to 10 times um and have you know just a vast array of of friendships with those um people who look like me people who don't look me like me who are white who are black um and that was very different than where i was at growing up in west michigan yeah wow wow so many so many questions uh to get us rolling um can you maybe share with us and touch on um how you as you got older you started to kind of um you started to kind of come into that identity and realize mm -hmm. uh, the the image of God that you were created to be. Can you talk through on that, like some of the thoughts or maybe some things, maybe you can pull back from, you know, reach back into that being a teenager and coming into that. Can you touch on that a little bit for us? Sure. So I think it's not uncommon um, for transracial adoptees um, when they leave their home. Um, and these of course are for adoptees of color. Um, we kind of lose that veil, so to speak, of any privilege that we had growing up in a white home. Mm. So I'm now starting college on this college campus, and they don't know yeah. me as, you know, the Korean girl adopted by these two white parents and have I've extended family in the area, and I just kind of belong, so to speak, even though I didn't belong in so many other ways in terms of how people treated me. Well, then I start college, and I'm not taking my white parents with me to college right? right and so they um i am being perceived now um even more so as as an asian female and all of the stereotypes and assumptions and beliefs that come along with that and so um i had some of that growing up don't get me wrong but when you're out on your own you experience it in new ways and to new levels um also huh. i think when we leave you know our homes i think we might feel this freedom so to speak to perhaps start investigating, um, looking back a little bit more without any worry of perhaps um, hurting those around us. You know, some adoptees will talk about, I'm scared to kind of be curious about Ethiopia or to be curious about my birth parents because I don't want to hurt my adoptive parents or I don't want them to think I'm not grateful. And that's kind of a whole nother step conversation guys sure. um, but it really is um, I think a piece of when I when I was in college um, just kind of feeling like okay I'm kind of on my own now I can maybe make my own decisions and I, I might not have to explain them um, because I have this sense of of becoming my own person mm -hmm. um, and that's 
um, demonstrated by the fact that I'm no longer living at home. And mm. so maybe had some more confidence to do that. Um, likely I was growing up too, right? And maturing a bit and maybe able to um, identify the fact that I had pushed away so much my Koreanness, my Asianness you know, in lieu of wanting to fit into the sea of whiteness around me, mm -hmm. um, maybe I had grown into the fact that I could see that and that I could, you know, say, wow, sure, I did that for a while, but this is who I am. Mm -hmm. And um, it's important to, to know who I am. So I think, you know, a combination of those, those factors probably led me to that place in college where, where I um, started pursuing more of, of my ethnic identity. Yeah. Um, my, my brain is like digging all these questions and trying to figure out which one next, but so you start to kind of, I, I realized when you said like, when you go to college that veils, you know, pulled aside or whatever. Um, and, and it, that just, my eyes just went, Yeah of course, like, oh my gosh, I never really even thought about that. So this was almost just kind of pushed on you in a way of, you're like, oh no, oh, that's who you think I am, but I'm, I'm not that. Can you talk about that a little bit, about that experience, maybe when you realized that or started to feel that of, there were assumptions made about you and you hadn't even potentially even spoken yet, or people didn't know you. What was that sure. like? Sure. You know, I think when it comes to the complexities of transracial adoptions, and I'm speaking generally of white parents raising kids of color, sure. that we have these white parents with a whole lot of love and a whole yeah. lot of good intentions, yeah. but without the experience of living with the reality of our racialized society, oh, so to speak. Yeah. Um, and that's not to point fingers or to make someone feel guilty about it, but that's sure. just the reality of, like I said, this racialized society that we live in now. And so, you know, we find that there are some transracial adoptees, um, myself included, who um, I did not have a whole lot of conversations at home um, regarding my ethnicity or my race. Um, as opposed to me now raising two Asian kids, the conversations that we have about racism and bias and assumptions and privilege and stereotypes, because I need them to be prepared for how the world perceives them. Yeah. And so that is something that unfortunately, because of the realities of, of um, yeah, life of transracial adoption that not all parents were equipped to do, mm. um, regardless of any good intentions that they have. I want to make that very clear. Sure, right. And so, um, you know, I was not prepared for how I would be perceived in some of those negative ways. Mm -hmm. And I guess we'll just cut right, right to the chase. I think that one of the most defining moments for me, um, and this is, you know, all my life I've been teased for being Asian, whether it's kids pulling their eyes at me, kids, you know, I remember serving on this, um, this youth group project somewhere and this kid just looking out, up at me. I was in high school or college at the time and this little six-year-old looking up at me and screaming Hong Kong at me in the face. Um, you know, and I've, I've had experiences wow. my whole life, of course, with, with racial teasing. Um, but one event that sticks out kind of in those formative years of, wow, really realizing that the world perceives me in, in so many different ways that I wasn't prepared for was when I was in high school, um, I was working as a receptionist somewhere and um, 
a man came up to me and asked me um, if I was in his porn magazine. Um, that was um, oh, wow. that was something he felt very, very able to confront me about. And I had no clue, guys. I had zero clue that this was a stereotype about Asian Asian females. Um, and so that is very defining um, for me because um, I had a whole lot of learning I had to do fast. And, um, you know, in some ways, I'm glad it happened when I was maybe 16, as opposed to when I was any older, because it could prepare me for those next times that things like that happened. Um, so there's one in which, you know, I really needed to be prepared for because physical safety and emotional safety has been has been jeopardized with, with that. Um, and then, um, you know, just the assumptions that people would make that I'm being raised by maybe Asian parents, which is a fair, a fair assumption to make, right? Sure. Okay. Um, yeah. But then needing to kind of explain myself and that's very uncomfortable and how much do I share of my personal story with these strangers, so to speak. Hmm. Wow. Um, thank you for sharing that with us. Yeah. Thank you. Um, I'm, yeah, I'm sorry that that's happened to you. I'm just, I, I'm not apologizing on that person's behalf, but just, I'm sorry that you've had to endure that and that's happened. Yeah. So I actually have a question um, with all of what's been said so far in your story and just your reality, right? Things that actually took place. This is real. Um when it comes to your identity and comes to your your faith, mm. how have those two things um, played with one another? Um, if you don't mind, I guess, backtracking a little bit to uh, your your story of faith and how that's played a role in, uh, in, in where you are today. Sure. I was um, adopted into a family um, that loved the Lord and I was um, raised in a home um, of, of believing adults. My parents, um, my grandfather was a pastor. My uncle's a pastor. Um, I have some missionary uncle, an uncle and aunt who are missionaries. And um, in some ways, um, of course, you know, what a, what a gift and what a, um, what a legacy in which I was being raised. At the same time, right, we all know that um, we have to come to our faith um, on, on our own. Um, and that it's not just our parents, so to speak. This all sounds very cliche. Um, I'll, I'll say I never really knew a day um, that I wasn't walking with the Lord. And um, I, I've known early on, you know, that my heavenly father transcends any earthly father or lack thereof, you know, having been someone who was adopted. Um, I, I've always believed, believed that and, and trusted that. Um, as it relates to race, I would say, um, you know, I didn't really ever hear, wow, you were created in his image. And that includes the hue of your skin mm. that includes your eyes and your facial fe features and your dark hair. Um, and it was almost that my Koreanness couldn't be spoken of. And, um, wow. I, I don't think there was ill intent there either. Right. I think if anything, you know, there's this belief that if we don't talk about race and if we don't point these things out or speak of them, um, that perhaps that means that we're all equal 
um, or that um, you're accepted just like everyone mm-hmm. else, kind of this colorblind approach, so to speak. Right, right. You know, right, and the, right. the, the corollary of that is when you don't speak these very real things about me, um, do you see me? And then do you see the experiences around me? Mm-hmm. And so I am so intentional with my kids as I talk with them um, about their ethnicity, when I talk to them about how the Lord knit them together in their mother's womb 6,000 miles away and Mm. very intentionally created them to be who they are, including their physical attributes, um, I weave that all in together because Mm. I believe it's important that that is named, especially in this society where many of us find ourselves where white is what is normal, so to speak, and what is typical and anything else is different. Yes. Um, So, um, and then, you know, when I became acquainted, you know, also, and really um, thought through that verse in Revelation, Mm. you know, that my ethnicity is eternal. It doesn't go away. We don't all get to heaven and turn gray, so to speak, or some, you know, some color that meets in the middle, but really, you know, tongues, nations, tribes, languages, um, and just the beauty there. And so, um, I, you know, have gone from being in a place where I just kind of had to cope with being an only, and wanting mm-hmm. to do anything I could to survive, such as not bringing any extra attention or admitting even that I was Asian. You know, I, I kind of, I'm so embarrassed, but I used to go around saying, I'm not Korean, I'm Dutch, you know, because that was my way of kind of deflecting, um, sure. which, you know, if one of my kids said that, I would, I would be just like, oh my goodness, we have a lot of talking to do. Um, <laughs> but again, you know, I'm not, mad at myself for doing that it was coping i know it was coping and there was some trauma and some grief there um so you know i've gone from that um kind of side of things to delighting in the fact that i am a korean american female um even though there's a lot of pain there that i receive that i experience based on you know the comments the questions the stares the whatever that i receive i can still say God, thank you. Mm. Um, I trust you. Um, and I will use this for your glory. I will use my experiences, my hardships, um, my joys. I will use all of that to glorify you. Um, mm. I hope that answers your question, Orlando. It, it does. And I, I don't, I hope you don't mind me kind of going a little bit deeper into that because I sure. think that's something that we don't always uh, recognize and what I mean by we and I'll just be flat out honest about it is that when you're in a when you're the majority in a particular culture um, there's no need to assume anything right the automatic mm-hmm. assumption is that when we're talking about being made in the image and likeness of God that that means me right mm-hmm. um, and I know for some people it's like well yeah obviously it means Orlando like just because he's black that does not mean him or Mm. obviously that means Tara just because she's Korean it doesn't mean not her like why is that such an important thing and why was that discord even there do you think uh, for you to be around so many believers who love God and well-intentioned right because that's always a thing too I didn't mean it right but even with all those good intentions and with so many people who are loving God and serving God, um, that you still had to come to that conclusion yourself, not just that God loved you and that you were made in his image and likeness, but that you as a Korean woman 
are made in his image and likeness as with all of your facial features, with your hair color, the, the, the hue of your skin. Why was that discord there? And then why was it important for you to come to that conclusion? Sure, I think I am tracking with your question. Um, you know, I think I mentioned that not a lot of people talk to me about my Koreanness um, in a way that was affirming and life-giving. Um, when my Koreanness was brought to my attention, it was usually because someone was saying something really dumb to me <laughs> um, or making a joke, making an Asian joke or um, being nosy perhaps about me. Um, but there didn't seem to be this um, ability of anyone around me to speak of my Koreanness in a way that um, really affirmed who I was made in the image of uh, and likeness of, of the Lord. And so I think that coupled with um, being in a sea of whiteness, when your race is kind of being poked at as being wrong or other or the exception or the token, um, I don't think that those things, I think there's a, there's, what would the word be? Um, there's just not a connection there um, because if everything about the way I look brings to mind, even in the church, things that are so negative and laughable, how could then I also, could I also be made in his image, especially when some of these comments were made in the church or from other Christians, so to speak. Mm -hmm. um, so maybe it was this unspoken, but we're all part of God's family. Don't you get it? Of course you are made in the image of God. Um, but that didn't necessarily fit perfectly with the narrative and what I was hearing from everyone else. Um, and so when I kind of, um, when I, I really started reading more about race, ethnicity, both from, you know, believing and Christian authors and, and not, um, I was able just to kind of recognize how we got to this place in 2021, so to speak. And also really, like I mentioned, those two Bible passages that have really set the stage for, for this understanding of, of race and of ethnicity. Um, yeah, that's good. Tara, how you said that when you would hear the verse, we are all created in the image of God. How, how do I, how do I, as a white man speak of that, that would be life-giving to teenage Tara that mm. is hearing this and going, yeah. I hear the, tr I hear the truth in that. I don't hear, I don't hear your, you know, I don't hear what you heard. If that, if I, if I'm like, if I'm standing in front of students and I'm going, I want to make sure that they hear this and they know this truth and they, they can fully, they can fully take that in and know that I'm not saying there's no exceptions here sort of thing. Mm, that's, it's tough for me to think of necessarily exact words and phrases, mm. um, I guess, without knowing more context of like a conversation within a youth group or, or a talk, so to speak. Um, you know, I think one thing that comes to mind for me, and it might be true of, you know, some of those who are listening is that there are a lot of youth groups that are predominantly white. Right. Um, and so when you're one of those few kids of color, mm. um, sometimes regardless of what is being said, 
might not feel the same just because of the lack of representation and diversity, mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Um, which might sound a little discouraging, so to speak, sure. but it's kind of like, you know, actions speak louder than words sometimes. Right. Yeah. <laughs> so yeah. we can say yeah. and say and say, but when our youth groups are still predominantly white or the churches are still predominantly white, you have to understand that that kind of paints a context that is, um, that is a real experience for those, for those kids of color. Mm -hmm. um, you know, when I think back to my days in youth group, um, I probably was the only kid of color with the exception of my brother who was there. We overlapped for a couple sure. of years. Um, but, you know, they didn't probably have a good understanding of what my day-to-day -day experiences are like. Mm -hmm. And, you know, I don't know that any one youth group kid wants to be called on the carpet to share, you know, what's it like to be that kid of color? You're the only one to the all white youth group. Right, right. I think that's when the onus is on those youth leaders mm -hmm. to start learning about that on their own without mm -hmm. doing it on the backs of those kids of color in the youth group. Yeah, that's good. Amen to that's that. Re that's really yeah. helpful. Yeah, because that, that was, maybe that already kind of answered the question that I thought of after that was like, okay, so we have, we have a youth group that is in farm town, USA, and they're going, everybody here is white. Like they're the town, the, the city isn't, there's no diversity here sort of thing. And I'm thinking of that youth worker that maybe is going, so what do I do? How do I what, what am I supposed to do in that space? And of course, you're, you can only give your, from your experience, I'm not asking you to answer for everyone um, at all. I'm just asking you from your perspective going, here's something, this would be helpful um, because that's their sphere of influence. Um, yeah. yeah. You know, I kind of think it, when you're talking to an all white group, in some ways, um, you might have a little more flexibility because mm. you're not putting that one person or those two people, so to speak, in the spotlight. Yep. And yep. they're not going to be, you know, those conspicuous ones, perhaps on during this conversation about race or ethnicity or identity. Um, you know, I think it's fair to, to assume that maybe not everyone from that church, wherever it is, is going to stay in that town or in that city. Yeah. And so, you know, part of um, being a Christian, you know, who knows to what ends we'll go out, right? And, um, and so encouraging those kids and those youth leaders to think about the long game here, right? Mm -hmm. And I like what you said, boss, at the beginning of, of the podcast is that learning about these topics, it's not just good for me, so to speak, as the Asian female, so that I can be better understood. It's good for every single one of us because our racialized society has done some pretty awful things to every single one of us, whether we're white, whether we're Latino, whether we're black, whether we're Asian, whether we're indigenous, um, it's, been for, it's been bad for, for all of us. Um, in different ways. Mm -hmm. And so, you know, if we can awaken, you know, an all white youth group to that understanding, whether it's through readings, whether it's through, you know, speakers, whether it's through independent studies that we would suggest, I, I would say those are, those are good efforts and, and good things. Um, 
so that when they do meet that first person of color, right, <laughs> whether right. that's me or whether that's Orlando, mm -hmm. maybe maybe mm -hmm. less damage or hurt will be done in those mm -hmm. in those first um, conversations with that first person of color, so to speak. Mm -hmm. yeah. Yeah. Uh, do you, Tara? Do you mind if I add on to that? Yeah, please. Um, one thing that came to mind, especially when you were answering the question in regards to your faith and just that tension there um, actually was a passage in James chapter three, where it literally talks about like with, in, in with what, with our same, with one mouth, we will bless God, but then also talk about a man or woman who's made in the image of God. Right. Mm. So how can those, th that same source do both of those at one time, I think is um, pertinent to this question as well. Like if I'm only around people who look like me. I've, I've never even met a person of color. And that's okay, right? We're not saying that there's anything right. wrong with you or anything like that. That's just your reality. And that's all right. Um, I think one thing that is key that I've learned is, is just that, right? Because another thing too, I don't, uh, and I'll be overly transparent on this one, is as I have friends who are white, I have friends who are from other cultures, right? I have to correct my own family when they make a very inappropriate joke. I mean, I'm talking about jokes that are just, all right, let's not, you know, let's not say this um, about uh, my cousin who's married to uh, a, a man who was born and raised in Jamaica, right? Mm. Like that's inappropriate to say. Um, it's not okay to say these things. And it's based off of that. Like we can't in one instance say that we love God and that we profess him to be who he is, but then talk really bad about everyone that he's created. And so I think it's okay to do that so that when they do finally come in contact with a person of color, uh, they're not making these same jokes that when they were around people who look like them were normal and okay, mm. right? But now it's a matter of, I've already learned with people who look like me that these things are not okay to say or to do and that this behavior is unacceptable. And so there's not even a chance for me to offend another individual who's a person of color because I've already learned those lessons. Mm. Mm. I appreciate that. I might quick add this. Um, you know, as we think of this image of God, um, truth, core truth, really, right, for the believer. Um, one thing that I was, you know, kind of convicted, probably, so to speak, in this last year, as I thought through some really hard things that my family has experienced racially, especially with, you know, just this heightened hatred of Asians and scapegoats goading and yeah. blaming and the list can go on and on and some very mm -hmm. personal things that happen to to me and to my kids and I'll say you know mama bear of course when it happens to your kids mm -hmm. that's super painful um as I kind of thought through these things and thought through these people who would say or do these words or actions toward us I had to stop myself and remind myself that these people who are coming after me were also made in the image of God. Mm, wow. <laughs> what do I do with that? Um, and how then do I respond? And, you know, that conversation came up within my own home recently with, with one of my kids as we were kind of talking about, you know, junk that they're hearing and experiencing in their day-to-day -day lives. Um, you know, as we process that, you know, 
I threw that out to my kids and, you know, just trying to remind them that that core truth, it doesn't just apply to me to make me feel good as an Asian female, but mm. it's, it's a core truth that really should drive the way that we treat other people and the yeah. way that we think of other people. Mm. And I don't mean that that's an excuse for why someone, you know, that I, I don't use that sure. to excuse what people have said or done, right, right. but it definitely can inform how I respond, the thoughts that I have toward that person mm. and how I might pursue peace with that person. If it's someone that I'm going to see again, mm. um, while also, of course, and I think this goes without saying, um, calling out what is wrong and what is evil and, and mm -hmm. doing that in conjunction mm -hmm. with, yes, this is another image bearer um, with whom I'm having this, this conversation. Yeah. Wow. That's good. That's really good. Uh, um, okay. So, so you're a parent, mm. you have kids, you have teenagers, you have um, who are, who are navigating a, a world and how, how do you, what's it, what's it been like, I guess I, I'm not meaning to say like, here, give us a whole history sort of thing, but as you are instilling in them now and early, like when they were, when they were in arms and you were saying, you're an image of God. You're an image of God. We're leaning into the the hue of our skin color. We are we are accepting this. All of that sort of stuff, and you're instilling in them. What have you seen and experienced through their appreciation of that and their um, um, their awe of their identity and who God created them to be? What are you seeing now through them of um, where they've taken ownership of that? Does that make sense? Like. Hopefully that, maybe that gets to the question. I don't even know what my question is, but it's almost like, how has that been for you to see it and go, are you like, yes, yes, this is good. This is awesome. Or is there something else that's happening that you're like, I sure. wish that would have happened to me when I was a kid. So I started really early on talking with my kids about their Koreanness and mm -hmm. using language because I think, you know, I don't know who said this first, maybe Mr. Rogers, I, I don't know. <laughs> but what is mentionable is manageable, mm. right? So to put words around these things in front of us that we see, and that includes race, that includes similarities, and that includes differences. I would say the average American might be scared of having some of those conversations for a whole host of reasons that I don't fault them for. Okay. Sure. Yep. But it was really important for me early on to start giving my kids words and, a, and, and um, giving my kids a voice when it comes to, to ethnicity and to race. And so we had conversations before they even knew what those words meant. And we talked about melanin. We talked about hues of our skin. We talked about geography. We talked about adoption, obviously. We talked about genetics. We talked about the fact that sometimes people think things based on how someone looks. And we gave examples. We talked about maybe things that happen to other people, 
We talked about things that maybe happened to me. Um, we corrected each other of assumptions, even innocent assumptions that my kids were making. You know, I remember one time my kid made some assumption about all construction workers while we were driving down the hallway. And I'm like, oh, whoa, 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 whoa. You know, let's, let's just, you know, keep talking. And not in this way to shame them or to police them e even, but really no. to raise critical thinkers um, and and to check each other when we're making assumptions or biases. And my daughter, I mean, she will check me immediately. She's like, I think you're making an assumption, mom. Um, wow. I need that. <laughs> I need wow. that. Really? And they know what bias means. And I'll admit when I have a bias, because I am someone who has biases towards groups of people that I have to wrestle through. Yes. And, you know, at the age of of 13 and 15, because of all this previous work and conversations that we've had, and because I made it mentionable, we now can manage it, right? Mm -hmm. And so it was kind of like building this cognitive framework, so to speak, around race and ethnicity, so that now at 13 and 15, we can talk about, I mean, pretty much everything. Um, you know, my, my son, especially he's in high school, he has to have an iPad, he reads the news, he hears it all from kids in high school, you know, not just when it relates to race, but we can, um, we can talk about kind of these big ideas and talk about current events, um, in a way that they're pretty much all the way there that they understand enough that we can wrestle through. Um, so your question was, was my kids, um, you know, I know because they are minorities, um, racial minorities, even among the other racial minorities, we pretty much are, you know, still, there's few of us, you know, my, my kids went to a, a school that was, you know, about 40% black, 40% white, 20% other, that was mostly biracial, um, black, white, some Latino, very, very few, few Asians. And so I know that because of that, because of that reality, there are going to be some bumps in understanding who they are ethnically. I can't take that away from them. And that is actually not my job. Mm. I think my job is to help them cope mm. with the experiences that they have based on other people's perceptions and assumptions. Mm. And not just that, my job is also to guide them toward truth and the way that they think about other people. It's not just, oh, you know, feel sorry for us because we experience A, B, and C, but let's also realize that we can be on the other side as well of having these biases and these assumptions towards different groups of people. And so, you know, my kids laugh because, um, you know, we talk about race a lot <laughs> and um, it's never like, oh, we have to sit down at the table and talk about it. Mm. It's just kind of something that because we've tried to create this atmosphere where we can talk about it at any point, just like if you're a team or a, I'm sorry, a family that likes sports, you talk about your favorite teams. If mm. you're a family that loves the Lord, you go to church. If you're a family that likes to travel, you buy plane tickets, right? right. So <laughs> if you are someone who says this, Right. And I think most Christians do say we accept everybody. Um, we we are racist. <laughs> um, right. OK, right. so how is that evidenced in your life? Mm. And that's going to look different from all of us. I like Orlando, how you said, you know, because you go to an all white church, that is not inherently a wrong thing. However, it's wrong to assume that that might not shape some of your belief systems mm -hmm. based on the homogeneous church you're at, right? Unless yeah. you're doing some active um, and intentional, I would say, um, having some curiosity in that area. So
So, you know, with my kids, my goal is just to keep this conversation going with them. Again, not my goal, not my job to take all the pain away for them. Mm -hmm. But how do I help them cope with it? Of course, always pointing to, to the Lord, but also not, you know, applying Christianese all over it such that they are not equipped with real tools that they might need to stay safe physically and emotionally. Yeah. Um, mm. it's, it's not always easy. <laughs> My sure. son this year has had, you know, quite a few experiences and verbal, um, you know, one or two real verbal assaults from strangers. Oh my. He was also recently um, an adult man who a stranger spit on him, spat at him. And so um, we're having to, to process some, some big stuff. Um, and how do I do such that allows for the grief, the lament, the why, and also encouraging him not to let this one thing define him you know there is tension there um but i think it has to be done by keeping that conversation going and so accepting how they're feeling about things without correcting them and say oh no no you should be thankful about this but mm -hmm. remaining curious with them accepting their feelings um meeting them where they're at of course you know, there are times when you need to correct some information, but there is like, okay, I can understand how, how you would feel that way. Totally. I would too. I wonder if we've thought about this in a way that, that builds their awareness and not in a way that shuts them down because they're not experiencing it or feeling it in the way that I want them to. Yeah, that's one uh bravo to, to that um because i think it becomes easy to want to only deal with the pain that comes with it uh especially as a parent you know um nobody wants their child to hurt uh, but that is that is absolutely amazing uh to see that you're 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 being honest with yourself with the reality with your children which i think is something that we fail to do especially as youth leaders and being honest with these kiddos, like we're, I mean, they're a lot smarter than we think they are, <laughs> nine times out of 10. Um, and so with that being said, if we have time for one more question, um, it would be with what your role is as a parent and your reality as a parent, uh, what would you say the role uh, and the job of a youth leader is when it comes to uh, that one or two young people that may be in their youth group who are uh, persons of color, or if they are all people of color, whatever the case may be, um, what would you say their role is uh, with this reality that they face every day? Sure, one thing that comes to mind, and I think it's good for each one of us, not just the youth workers among us is, but for us all to recognize that our own experiences might not be everyone else's experiences and that other people have had experiences based on the color of their skin that we might not even know of um, or even imagine. And so, you know, I say that in a way, kind of knowing that probably the majority of listeners perhaps could be, could be white youth leaders. And so to recognize there's no shame in this, hear me clearly, 
um, in, in acknowledging that um, others have different experiences than you do. And so what can you do as someone who hopes to reach each and every person with the gospel? What can you do that removes any discomfort, that removes any barriers, that removes any possibilities for misunderstandings, miscommunication, misconnections? What can you do to be that person who can bring the gospel to those kids? Um, that requires some self-reflection. That's probably gonna require some education. Um, that's going to require perhaps putting yourself in situations that are uncomfortable. You know, I have this wise friend um, who says that, that um, growth and comfort, they rarely occupy the same address. <laughs> and so, you know, each one of us has work to do in that area, myself included. So that's one thing that comes to mind. I also think about, you know, it's been a while since I've been in youth group, a good, I don't know, 25 years, <laughs> 20 some years. Um, but what are you putting before your youth group? What images, what curriculum, what youth trips, where are you spending your time? What are your themes for your parties? <laughs> um, are they ones that would be, um, number one, appropriate for every last person, so to speak? Um, do they have any bias or stereotypes in them? Mm -hmm. Is your curriculum, are the, is the video series that you show at your youth group meetings, is it only white people? Okay, maybe not inherently wrong, but what might that communicate? Mm -hmm. Especially if you're in an all-white church to begin with, or especially if you're in a majority white church with a few kids of color, what does that communicate? So what are we putting in front of and where are we putting, putting our kids? So um, that, that comes to mind too. Um, and then I would, you know, encourage, you know, anyone, not just youth leaders, you know, especially if you have that one or that two, those token, you know, kids of color, that you are not, um, whether knowingly or unknowingly, believing that that one kid is the representation of all Black people, of mm -hmm. all Asian people, of all Latino people. And we often instinctually do that when we have a small sample size from which we're working. And so yeah. that too um, is going to require, um, is going to require some, some thoughtfulness. You know, I would hope, you know, for youth leaders who might be, be working with, with populations um, who are not like them, whether it's just a handful um, please have some real life relationships outside of youth group, um, that might help inform you, that might help provide context, um, because sometimes damage can be done otherwise. You know, then usually the next question I get is, well, Tara, I don't know, where do I make a black friend? <laughs> and that's probably a whole nother podcast <laughs> episode that we'd have to address yes. that question. That's a podcast series right there. For yeah. sure. uh, series, yeah. that's right, that's yeah, right. That's let's, let's do that next. Um, so um, I guess you, 
maybe are hearing me say that um, there's work that needs to be done. And some of that work can only be done by each and every youth worker. And they need to care enough to do it intentionally. And churches need to care about it enough that they're investing the money, the budget, the manpower, the project, whatever it might be on this topic, not because it's the culturally relevant thing to do, but because of image bearers, because of Revelation 7-9, because we see um, in the Lord's prayer on earth as it is in heaven, right? Yeah. When we think about diversity, when we think about unity within diversity. Yeah. So I know sometimes we want, uh, hey, give me step one through 10. Not that you two are asking for that, um, but it really is a combination of oh so much um, yeah. that happens over time mm. in relationship mm. and on your own. Mm. Tara, thank you. Thank you for that. Thank you for all of this. Um, I, You're right that there are many, It's because it's so complex, people are scared off at times. I'll give them the benefit of the doubt that they're going, I don't know where to start and I don't want to get it wrong. And uh, I should probably just not, that'll be better. Um, and we want a steps one through whatever, you know, sort of thing. And so like to kind of get us moving. So thank you for, I think you laid out quite a few, like this is step one. Here's, here's a step one or here's a step one or here's a step one sort of thing. So um, as we, as we sign off, uh, as we get ready to wrap up, um, can you share with people uh, ways to connect with you? Maybe they heard something along the way and said, I need to be, I need to hear her more or, you know, that sort of thing, or maybe they want to, whatever, maybe they're just kind of, maybe they heard something and said, I can relate in this. And I want to uh, create a step into community in a way with you. She also sure. consults. Also so that. people can be in touch with me. You know, I'm not so great at the social media thing, which I wish I was better. Um, That's okay. I do have a website. That's my full name. I'm sorry, my first and my last name. It's Tara, T-A-R-A. And then my last name, V as in Victor, A-N as in Nancy, D as in David, E-R-W-O-U, D as in David, E, taravanderwood.com. Um, I do also, I'm on Facebook under that same name, I think as a page, like a professional page or business that you can follow, so to speak. Awesome. Um, mostly there, I post on the intersection of race, adoption, and identity. Um, so you could, you could also find me there. And there's, on my website, there's ways that you can get in touch with me. And I would ask from anyone, have patience with me as I respond to your emails. <laughs> <laughs> That's great. Uh, we will drop those links in the show notes in the description so that people can find that pretty quickly. Um, yeah, thank you. Thank you so much for that. Um, we are going to sign off, uh, I think with uh, Revelation. So let's yeah, yeah. I do just that. I just feel like you you brought it up so many times, and I think it's a beautiful passage of scripture. So if you don't mind, I'd love to read it for us as we uh, kind of just sign off today. Uh, Revelation seven and nine, where it says, "After these things, I looked, and behold, a great multitude which no one could number, of all nations, tribes, peoples, 
and tongues standing before the throne and before the lamb clothed with white robes with palm branches in their hands. There it is. There it is. So I've had to go back a couple times and re-listen to this conversation since our recording um, for my own sake, not for editing's sake. It was it was difficult in the editing phase uh, to be taking notes for my for my own personal gain and my own learning. Um, I there's a lot there's a lot to unpack from this conversation. Um, I hope that you uh, that you got something out of it. You got a lot of things out of it, and it's um, possibly altered your perspective. It's changed your worldview just a little bit. Um, it maybe this has opened some things up that you have um, witnessed yourself or been a part of. Um, maybe there's some things within your context that you're wanting to change because of this. Uh, that's our hope. That's our prayer. Again, thank you to Tara for sitting with us and sharing this and being vulnerable and sharing your experience uh, so that we can learn and so that we can be better and so that we can grow in empathy and so that we can serve our students and our leaders and our community more holistically. I absolutely loved this conversation. It has, um, it's helping me in many ways and seeing things differently. Um, again, I, I hope and I, I pray that that is true for you as well at some level um, that you uh, walk away from this or um, put your headphones down or whatever and in this episode in a way that is um, spurring you on to in a different space. Um, like we've told you before, if you've been along with us in this ride um, of the conversations, um, there are people that are in your community who want to get together with you, who want to uh, sit with you and want to learn from you and also want um, to share with you their experience. Uh, you can find them by going to our website and nym.org and searching your area to find communities near you um, that are in your neighborhood. Um, if there's been something that you that resonated with you along the way, shout out to us, uh, send us, send us something, uh, write us an email, send a, find us on all the social channels, all that sort of stuff, like subscribe, do all of those things, share this episode with other people so that we can continue to grow this community. Um, and so that we can all be better because we're better together. Um, I also want you to know that, uh, we care about you. We care that, um, we care that you are doing youth ministry and we want you to know that you're not alone. And we want you to know that you're not alone in some of the feelings and the hardships that you've experienced uh, in the last month, even in this week. Um, so we're here for you. Um, I will say it always. And that is to continue to pour into yourself because if you don't pour into yourself, you will have nothing to pour out to others. So until next time, my friends, Peace, blessings.